Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing okay this week. How are you? I'm doing okay. I uh, I know you've had a very, very, very crazy week. And very eventful, yes. Yes, very eventful. I had a very eventful day, but not like your week. I was like, man, Mandy, did we change lives? And then today I was like, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm still me. So yeah, it's always it's always something, right? It really is. Yeah, it is. Um, I mentioned, I think, a couple episodes ago that my mom was coming. So she's been here and has been visiting. And sadly, her visit with us is coming to an end. And I'm taking her to the airport tomorrow. But we have enjoyed our time with her. It's been great. Yay. But yeah, as you know, it's just I feel like sometimes in life, it's like there's not a lot going on for a while. And then all of a sudden, there's just a lot of things going on. So that was kind of my week this week, other than my mom being here. Um, as Melissa knows, I've had some, my grandmother has been, uh, had kind of hurt herself this week. So she's doing well. She's on the road to recovery now. But it was just a little bit of a stressful week, kind of having to deal with my mom being yeah. in town and also trying to, you know, be there for my grandmother. And I had to really be careful about balancing my time this week. But we made it through. And um, yeah, it was overall, it was a good week. Nothing really terrible, terrible happened at the end of the week. So 
I'm happy to say that the week was a success, <laughs> maybe in a way, in some kind of a way. You need um, a stamp. Just I survived. That's really yeah. <laughs> that's how you mark this week. I survived. For sure. That's all yeah. that matters. Yeah. I yeah, get that's it. all I, I can it. ask for, for sure. Okay, so we will get into um, the episode for this week then. Over the years, we have all heard numerous tales about the many creative ways that some murderers try to cover their tracks. And in some of these cases, the killers go to pretty extreme lengths to hide the fact that they have, in fact, killed somebody. But usually these tactics are pretty easily recognized by investigators, and eventually the truth does come out. In this week's episode, we actually have two different stories involving a murder and an attempted cover-up. But what's interesting about these two cases is that they're really weirdly similar, despite being two completely separate events. And they both actually happened in the same state within two days of each other. And as I said, had many of the strange circumstances. So we're going to talk about both of those stories in this week's episode. So the first story that we're going to be talking about this week started on March 22nd, 2002. It was about 10 p.m. that night when there was a terrible car accident on Highway 95 in Isanti County, Minnesota. Steve and Deborah Hollerman were traveling down the highway in a Jeep Cherokee, and Steve was driving the car, and it was dark. As I said, it was late, and he failed to notice that there was a parked car, a Hyundai XL, on the side of the road parked on the shoulder. So Steve was traveling at, you know, at highway speeds and he hits this Hyundai and the front right corner of his Jeep hit the back left corner of the parked car, which caused his Jeep to spin out of control and he came to a stop in a ditch. Witnesses to the accident did pull over and offer help and they saw that Steve was desperately pulling his wife Deborah out of the car and he held on to her until the paramedics arrived and really they had to kind of pry him off of her so that they could take her for treatment. She was bleeding a lot, but Steve actually never did use his own phone to call for help. It was the witnesses who pulled over that actually called 911. When the paramedics arrived, they transported Deborah to the hospital, but unfortunately she could not be saved and she was pronounced dead at 41 years of age. Steve, who was 40, was also taken to the hospital to be examined and he was kind of carrying on and really screaming in pain, saying that he was hurt. He said his neck was in pain. He had back pain. But when they got him to the hospital and ran some tests and kind of checked him out, they really didn't find any injuries that were noteworthy or, you know, nothing serious. Steve and Deborah have been married since November of 1988. So at this point, they've been married for about 13 years. For each of them, though, this was their second marriage. Deborah was first married whenever she was 17 years old. She had graduated high school and married a man named Larry in 1978. That couple together had two kids named Eric and Thomas. The couple divorced shortly after in February of 1986. Deborah was involved in many, many hobbies and activities. She was part of an investment club, which, Mandy, do you have any uh, knowledge of investment clubs? Have you ever heard of an investment club? No, it sounds like something not Mandy at all. <laughs> <laughs> the only knowledge I have of investment clubs comes from uh, Michael Scott's grandma on The Office whenever he's trying to get funding from of his course. for his investment club. <laughs> but I had never heard of it before. I just find it so fascinating. Like that's kind of a cool thing to be involved in, like yeah. looking for different, almost like your own version of Shark Tank in a way is how I was right? thinking of it. So I think oh, that's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. And she was also involved in book club, uh, gourmet dinner club, which I'm about that life and I know you are too let's yeah. start one of those <laughs> and uh to something called the JC women and she had other hobbies like 
quilting, racquetball, reading, tennis, golf, and she loved to relax at the lake. Deborah was described by those who loved her as a wonderful joy of a person. She worked in the dietary department of the Princeton Hospital, and she was also the manager of the Taco John's in Cambridge for four years, which sounds like something you would like. Taco John's, I mean John's, that in the nicest yeah. way. Taco yeah, John's? Yes. Yeah, that sounds... <laughs> I would like the inside of the taco, but you can have the outside for me, the taco yeah, stand if you will. absolutely no offense taken. I will take all yeah, the no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you want to be about that gourmet life. You want to yeah. be about the taco life, but <laughs> we get each other. So in 1995, she became administrator for the Trinity Lutheran Church, and she also ran weekend or casual wear clothing as a side gig. She was a busy lady. That is she so many things busy. to be involved in. Right? Such a cool, uh, diverse group of things. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine just running a clothing business on the side, like that seems like a full-time job. So I can just imagine, I don't know how she fit that in, you know, among all of her other hobbies. She definitely seemed like somebody who was probably a lot better at managing their time than I am. (laughs) So she and Steve were married and Steve had two kids of his own named Adam and Heidi, and they were from his first marriage. He also worked at Princeton Hospital and he was a lab supervisor. At the time of the car accident that killed his wife, Deborah, Steve was actually having an affair with his coworker. Because there was a death in this accident, there was an investigation to determine what exactly happened and what caused the crash. This was pretty routine for this type of investigation because, you know, fatal accidents like these happen all the time, unfortunately, and it's not uncommon for something like this to happen at night on the highway. State Trooper Anthony Snyder was the lead investigator on this particular investigation. Right away, though, he thinks this is a really unusual crash. He thought it was really odd that one person dies in this wreck and the other person has no real injuries. And he also thought it was odd that somebody died in the crash, but the car's still drivable. So he feels like the accident itself is actually really quite minor. And he said he'd never seen a death from an accident like this. Despite there not being very much damage to the Jeep, the inside of it was covered in blood. Allegedly, this was from the injuries Deborah sustained in the accident that led to her death. But Snyder felt that this was all really a bit suspicious, and he wanted to dig into it more. Snyder went to the impound lot to take a look at the Jeep again, and this time he wanted to be able to take some photos and just kind of take a better look around. When he got there, the worker at the impound lot told him that the owner of the Jeep, who of course is Steve Hollerman, had actually been calling up there quite a bit. And he was trying to get them to release the Jeep back to him and figure out how to coordinate getting, you know, getting this Jeep back in his possession. And so when Anthony Snyder hears about this, he feels like this is really suspicious because here's Steve, whose wife has just died in this car accident, very unexpected, and He didn't understand why Steve was so focused on getting this Jeep back. Why did he care about it that much that he was going to all these lengths to make sure that he got, you know, got it back as quickly as possible. So the Jeep, thankfully, was still there at the impound lot when uh, Detective Snyder was able to go up there and look at it. And there was blood, as we said, literally everywhere in the Jeep. It wasn't just on the front and passenger side where Deborah was sitting, but there was also blood in the backseat of the car and all over, you know, the dashboard area, various parts all over the car. When he started taking a look at the car itself, he noticed that, you know, there was very little damage to the passenger side itself. So he didn't understand why there was so much blood. He noticed that the knob in the car that is for adjusting the passenger side mirrors was bloodied and covered with what he thought was pieces of flesh and hair. 
And also on the passenger side of the car, there was a crack in the windshield with a bloody print, meaning that Deborah had been bleeding before she actually hit the windshield. Hmm. Snyder had a really bad feeling about all of this, and he told the county attorney and his co-workers what he found at the car and kind of what he thought and where where he thought this investigation was going or should go rather. And everybody really agreed with him. They all said that it was suspicious and it definitely merited further review. Unfortunately, the medical examiner already ruled Deborah's death an accident and she had already been cremated by the family. So they weren't able to do a more intensive autopsy to kind of find out, did she die of car accident related injuries or did something else happen prior to the crash? So forensic pathologist, Dr. Janice Ophoven said that Deborah suffered multiple lacerations to the forehead and scalp area, a fractured nose, other facial abrasions, a bruised elbow, and multiple skull fractures and bruising of the brain. Her death was ruled as a result of blunt force trauma from injuries sustained in the car accident. But Snyder didn't give up just yet. He recalled that Steve had said they were shopping at several stores in Cambridge just before the accident. So this officer went to those stores that they were allegedly visiting, and he requested the surveillance footage. The last time that Deborah was seen on camera with her husband, Steve, at any of the stores was two and a half hours before the crash occurred. And they started looking into this more and found out that from the stores they were shopping at to their house was only a 20 minute drive. So the fact that they were seen at the stores, like, yes, they were at the stores, but then so much time had passed before the accident. It made Officer Snyder think that maybe they didn't go straight home or maybe they went somewhere else after they Mm. were done shopping. So he learned that the Hollermans had a cabin about halfway between their home and Cambridge. And he wondered if Steve had actually driven them to this cabin in this time before the accident occurred. At this point, he was able to get multiple search warrants. And then a really strange anonymous tip came in. Somebody actually called the police department and said, quote, I think it's important that you know the husband of the woman who died in the car accident on Highway 95 is having an affair and his staff at work had confronted him about it approximately a week ago. Whoa. Yeah. So they're like, wait a minute. But I don't feel like we ever hear about like, hey, the coworkers went to somebody and said, we know you're having an affair. You know what I mean? Like an intervention, basically. That seems well, maybe because they all worked in the same place. She they worked, worked there in the same hospital. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they probably felt like, okay, this is too much. Like we have to let her know because it's very close. I mean, they're working together and the woman that he's having an affair with is also working Whoa. there. So yeah, what an awkward situation that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so the investigators had to dig into that more because that's definitely strange. So they learned that Deborah had recently found out about this affair. And those who knew her said that she actually planned on confronting Steve about it the same day that the car accident happened. Investigators also learned that Steve had been at the cabin that same day, but he didn't take his wife there. He actually went to the cabin earlier that day with the woman that he was having the affair with. And we're going to get into many more details of this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. If you're like me, maybe you don't know your Pinots from your Grigios. You just know that you like wine that tastes good. Unfortunately, sometimes those wines come at a pretty steep price. But what if you could get world-class wine at an affordable price delivered right to your door? Cameron Hughes Wines can make that dream a reality. It doesn't take a business degree or even watching Shark Tank episodes to understand supply and demand. When supplies of exclusive wines are low, the demand is high, and so is the price. 
To keep these wines exclusive and high-end, they're limited to what they can sell to the public. That's where Cameron Hughes comes in. Cameron Hughes buys these overproduced wines from the big-name guys and sells them under the Cameron Hughes label for a fraction of the price. Cameron doesn't say who they get them from, and that's because Cameron knows snitches get stitches. Just kidding. But by using the Cameron Hughes label, they are able to pass this discount on to you. So you get great wine for a great deal, stitches not included. As someone who really enjoys the occasional glass of wine, I was so excited to try something new from Cameron Hughes. One of my favorites that I've tried so far was the Lot 765 Zinfandel. And sometimes Zinfandels can be a little too sweet for my taste, but this one was perfect. It was the right level of fruity, but still had the drier bite that I look for in a red wine. Go to chwine.com today to get 20% off the already great prices and free shipping when you buy three or more bottles. Just enter our code MOMS at checkout. That's chwine.com with code MOMS for 20% off three bottles or more plus free shipping. Great wine, great prices, delivered right to your door in the safety of your own home. If right now in life you're having a harder time dealing with things than you normally do, that's okay. Many of us are. And when I realized I needed a little help to get me through this period, I turned to BetterHelp. BetterHelp simply asks you a few questions and based on your answers is able to assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in a safe and private online environment. And you can begin communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is more affordable than most traditional therapists. Plus financial aid is available to those who qualify. BetterHelp is available worldwide. So whether you're dealing with stress, depression, anxiety, relationships, or more, a counselor is available to you thanks to the internet. And if you decide you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional cost. I love that I can not only talk to my therapist by phone or video, but can also message her throughout the week if there's something I wanted to work on or get guidance on. My therapist Lauren is amazing, but is also a trash TV watcher, so she understands me more than most, and what I mean when I compare my brain to an episode of Hoarders. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were discussing the accident that Deborah Hollerman and her husband Steve were involved in and how an anonymous tip had just been given to the police department, letting them know that Steve had been having an affair with someone at the hospital where Deborah and Steve worked. So police take this information from this anonymous tipster back to the medical examiner. So after reviewing all this information, the ME actually changes the manner of death from accident to homicide. And at this point, it's time to bring Steve in for questioning. So the homicide investigators sit down and begin to interview him. And they tell him, you know, there's way too much blood in this Jeep for it it to have come from this accident the way you're describing it. And so they ask him, did you guys have an argument that night? Was there anything going on that, you know, you guys were discussing? And Steve says, nope, everything was fine. We just had a day of shopping. But investigators kept pushing and said again that the amount and the location of the blood doesn't add up to this being an accident. None of this makes sense. So what you're telling us isn't true, but we need to find out what the truth is. And that's when Steve finally admits to assaulting Deborah. He says they were actually arguing. He claims they were arguing about how to remodel their cabin. 
And in this argument, he claims that he grabs Deborah by the hair and pushed her head into the corner of the Jeep, quote, a couple times, two or three, maybe. So at this point, he says Deborah's bleeding pretty badly and she's trying to escape, but he talks her back into the car and promises that he's going to take her right to the hospital. And he said at this point, he knows that he screwed up, that things got out of hand and, you know, this is not good, but he doesn't take her to the hospital. He doesn't go so far as to admit to the police that the car accident was ever staged, though. So at this point, Steve is arrested and he's charged with second-degree unintentional murder. And while waiting for the trial, experts are working to piece together what they actually believed happened. And police reconstructed the crash and determined that it was staged to cover up the assault. They said that Steve's speed was found to be likely between 39 to 42 miles per hour on impact, which is consistent with the damage that the Jeep and the Hyundai had whenever they hit. Yeah, and that's also pretty slow for highway driving. Those are not highway speeds either. Yeah, it's dangerous to be driving that on the highway. Like you're not supposed to be going that speed at all. But it makes sense for the actual wreck. What damage they saw to the Jeep made sense for, you know, that to be the speed. And looking at where that car was parked, the speed that Steve was going and the tire marks on the road that was coming up to the accident site – Officers determined that Steve had between 2.1 and 2.2 seconds to react before hitting this car. But the average person's reaction time in something like this is 0.75 seconds. So basically, he had three times the amount of reaction time as he needed to have done something to, you know, have missed this vehicle. And they said there were no signs of braking or, quote unquote, avoidance steering. So the steering wheel was bent, which indicated that Steve had basically braced for impact. And that's not really something you're going to do. You're going to try to swerve one way or the other. You're, you know, likely not going to just hold on to your steering wheel. And they also found, which I thought was like the biggest piece of evidence, that he adjusted the driver's seat so it was as far back as possible, but he could still reach the pedals. And they think that he did that so he would have reduced his injuries in the crash. Wow. So with this investigation pretty much done, the police then changed Steve's charges and he was charged with second degree intentional murder. The medical examiner's office then reviewed the new information and changed the manner of death from accident to homicide. So after Steve admitted to assaulting Deborah, the medical examiner's office tried to reconstruct the events of that night, much the same way that the police tried to reconstruct the accident. So the medical examiner felt that the mirror adjustment knob was the only thing in the car that could have caused the four lacerations on the right side of Deborah's head, as well as the depressed skull fracture. And based on the way the windshield was damaged, the medical examiner believed that Deborah's elbow first hit the windshield and then her forehead hit the rearview mirror. There was one particular skull fracture that was lethal on its own, but it could have come from, in the medical examiner's opinion, it could have come from the assault or from the car accident itself. So because of this, because there was no way of really knowing um, where this lethal skull fracture originated from, the medical examiner was actually unable to determine with certainty that the assault was what caused Deborah's death. She recommended that, quote, blunt force trauma to the head be listed as the immediate cause of death with the underlying reason for the death as an assault as a contributing factor and that the death was the result of a homicide. So Stephen pleaded not guilty and he had a trial only in front of a judge. There was no jury, which we've heard about that in some other cases before. And this trial lasted for five days. 
So the prosecution presented this case that the collision was not an accident and that Steve actually hit this parked vehicle on purpose to cover up the fact that he had badly assaulted his wife. And as we said, the evidence really points to that because, you know, they said that Steve had time to react to this crash, but he didn't make any attempts to swerve or break or try to avoid this car at all. And the prosecution also said that the collision was part of a chain of events. So they're saying this assault happened first, and then he realizes that his wife, Deborah, is very badly injured or possibly even killed in the assault. And then there's this car accident, and she could have sustained additional injuries in this accident that, you know, contributed to her death. But they pretty much were just saying that Steve had a motive and they felt that this was intentional murder. They said that his motive could have been the affair that he was having and a possible fight that ensued when Deborah confronted him about it. Because as we said, they spoke to friends and coworkers who told them, you know, that Deborah yeah. was planning on confronting him about it that day. So they're thinking that's probably what happened. A fight started over the affair and it led to all of this. Right. There wasn't much information about what Steve's defense was. We can assume that they went with something about how the crash wasn't intentional and that they couldn't prove that Deborah died as a result of the assault. Steve did not testify in the trial, but they did play his videotape statement in court. At the end of the trial, prosecutors offered a second-degree unintentional murder charge as an alternative to the intentional murder charge because Deborah's family was not okay with this all-or-nothing approach. So for each of these charges, the judge would have to find Steve guilty or not guilty of both intentional murder and or unintentional murder. For intentional, the judge would have to agree that Steve intended to kill Deborah and directly caused her death on purpose. But for unintentional, the judge would have to agree that Steve acted with malice and caused Deborah's death but did not intentionally kill her. On April 22, 2003, the judge found Stephen guilty of second-degree unintentional murder because he believed that he did not set out to kill Deborah that night. In June of 2003, Steve was sentenced to 17 and a half years in prison, which was five years more than the state guideline of 12 and a half years. And the judge said the reason he gave him the longer sentence was because of Deborah's vulnerability and the cruelty by which the crime was committed. All of Steve's attempts to appeal his sentencing have failed. But in 2014, after serving 11 years, he was released from prison. After his release, he moved in with the same woman that he had been having the affair with. The state trooper who investigated this case and noticed the troubling evidence, Anthony Snyder, actually went on to win the State Patrol's 2003 Trooper of the Year Award. Wow. I just, I feel like sometimes in these stories, I, I'm never really surprised by the things that people do to try and cover up something they've done. But right. you would not think that this would be like terribly common. But as we said in the beginning of this episode, we had two stories that were very similar. And um, we're going to get into the second story because I do think it's kind of strange how there have similar circumstances. Yeah. And I have never heard, you know, I, I never would have thought of this as a method of trying to cover up an assault or a murder. But no, it it has been used before. So here is another example of a case where somebody used a car accident. So for the next story, we're traveling just two hours away and two days later after the murder of Deborah Hollerman. And that's when police received a call from Darren DeGrot at 4.30 a.m. on March 24th, 2002. According to Darren, he had been riding as a passenger while his wife drove their car and he fell asleep. And he said that he woke up and realized that they... They had been in a car accident. Sometime while he was asleep, his wife had, you know, wrecked the car. 
So the police arrived on the scene and they found that Krista, who was driving the car, was deceased in the driver's seat. But there were some questions about what actually happened. And before we can really answer any of them, we are going to get into a little bit about Krista and her husband, Darren. Krista was born Krista K. Johnson on December 12, 1972 in Minnesota to her parents, Brenda and Gary. But she wasn't the only new bundle of joy in her family at the time. Krista also had a twin sister named Carla. The twin girls were really close and things were pretty typical in their household growing up. When the girls were about 17, Krista and her family moved to Raymond, Minnesota in 1989. And it was at this time that Krista met this guy, Darren DeGrotte, in high school. So Darren was born on December 3rd, 1973, also in Minnesota, to his parents, Virgil and Jean. On June 5th, 1993, when Darren was just 19 and Krista was 20, they got married. And they went on to have two sons who were actually 9 and 10 at the time that our story takes place. According to those who were closest to Krista, being a mom was really everything to her, and her family was what she considered her main job. She was described as being a very loving person and somebody who cared very deeply and really wanted the people around her to know it. She wanted people to know that she cared about them and loved them. And she never left an event or hung up the phone without saying I love you to those that she felt that way about. Krista and Darren made their home in rural Raymond, Minnesota, which was less than two hours from Princeton, Minnesota. While a lot is not known about the couple, in the mid-90s, Krista had called the police to report a domestic violence instance after her husband Darren had allegedly struck her in the head. There is no mention in the police report why more wasn't done after this instance, but Darren was not arrested at the time. But back to that Sunday night in March, Darren claims that they had been in a car accident and he gets out of the car and walks to a house nearby to report it. He claims that he's fallen asleep and Krista's driving. He said that he thought maybe the car had gone off the road and that's how they ended up in this ditch. He said during this wreck, he hit his head and he was unable to get his wife to respond. So that's whenever he gets out of the car and leaves to go find help. So when police arrive, Darren talks to them about the events that are leading up to this accident. He tells police that he and Krista had been in Wilmer on Saturday night, and they were headed south to Jackpot Junction Casino. Krista was driving that night, and she decided to take a more westerly route through Raymond and Renville because that's where Krista felt more comfortable taking, you know, these roads at night. I get that. Like, there's some roads I'll drive during the day and there's other ones I want to drive at night like less Definitely. traffic lights stuff like that yeah you, you have like these back roads you want to take at night so when police arrive on the scene at 4 30 a.m they find 29 year old Krista dead in the driver's seat police believe that the car had taken a sharp right turn off of a county road south of Renville and went 10 to 12 feet into the snow as a precaution Darren is taken to the hospital to be checked for his injuries and we're going to get back into more of the story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Close your eyes and think about your favorite snack. Okay, now open them. You were thinking about cookies, weren't you? And if you weren't, well, now you are. So what a perfect time to talk to you about one of my favorite snacks, High Key Chocolate Chip Mini Cookies. Cookies are essential to life, and sure, that may sound a little extreme, but they are at least essential to a happy life. High Key Chocolate Chip Mini Cookies can help make a happy life by being not only delicious and satisfying, but keto-friendly with low-net carbs, plus they're gluten and grain-free. 
I eat, sleep, and dream about cookies, which is not always a great thing, but thanks to Haiki cookies, I can eat them without all the guilt. These cookies have zero grams of sugar, one gram of net carbs, three grams of protein, and one million grams of deliciousness. The chocolate chip mini cookies are delicious and have the perfect homemade cookie texture without all the calories. In fact, Haiki chocolate chip mini cookie servings are so generous, an entire delicious bag is only 300 calories. But don't just take our word for it. Heike cookies have more than 23,000 five-star reviews, and we've got an exclusive deal for our listeners. Save $20 off when you try Heike's chocolate chip cookie bundle at heike.com slash moms, or save 20% off site-wide when you use our discount code moms, and they guarantee that you'll love it or your money back so you can try their products risk-free. Again, to claim this exclusive offer of $20 off, go to highkey.com slash moms or use our discount code moms. That's H-I-G-H-K-E-Y dot com slash moms. Whether you miss going to the gym or enjoy something a little less people-y, we have the perfect solution for you. We've all seen the at-home workout alternatives, but they aren't the same as those classes that you love and are missing. But with the SoulCycle at-home bike, you can turn your home into a SoulCycle studio, all while rerunning that same load of laundry that you keep forgetting to move to the dryer. The SoulCycle at-home bike comes with a 21-inch touchscreen with a sound system that was perfectly designed for this bike and is ready to play all the epic SoulCycle playlists. With the SoulCycle bike, you have unlimited access to both live and on-demand SoulCycle classes where you can be instantly transported to the front row of the studio on your schedule and with your favorite instructors. Plus, you can get your SoulCycle at-home bike in just one to three weeks, and they have financing options available to you to make hitting your goals even more achievable. The monthly membership includes unlimited access to the Equinox Plus app where you can stream classes from other top-tier brands like Equinox, Rumble TV 12, and Pure Yoga. I am obsessed with the Equinox Plus app, and this week I checked out the Pure Bodyweight Core class with James Barnett. It was the best ab workout I've ever had, and by that, I mean I said bad words under my breath, and I apparently was working muscles I didn't even know I had. It was tough, but well worth it. Get your Soul Cycle at home bike today by visiting mysoulcyclebike.com slash moms and use promo code moms to get a complimentary pair of at home select cycling shoes with your purchase. That's mysoulcyclebike.com slash moms, promo code moms to get a complimentary pair of cycling shoes with the purchase of your Soul Cycle at home bike. mysoulcyclebike.com slash moms, promo code moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. 
I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. So before we took the break, where we left off was that Darren was being taken to the hospital to be assessed for injuries that he might have. So while he was there in the hospital, the police notified him that his wife of almost a decade had passed away, sadly. A police officer said that while Darren appeared to be really emotional and crying uncontrollably, he was actually not shedding any real tears. Again, this is something that we hear a lot of times in cases where, you know, they arrive on scene and they speak to the spouse or to, you know, a family member who appears to be very upset, but it doesn't really add up. Their body language isn't um, matching what they're saying. So from the start, the police noticed several suspicious things from this accident. They did not believe that the damage to the car was at all consistent with a fatal car accident, and neither were the injuries that they found Krista to have. The police contacted the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension right away, and they treated the accident area more like it was a crime scene. When investigators looked over Krista's body, they noticed that she had dirt on her pants as well as on one of her hands and other areas of her body. One of the lenses was actually missing from her glasses and two of her front teeth were broken off. For all these injuries that Krista had, there was virtually no damage to the car with the exception of a broken windshield. And even the police believed that that was fishy because there wasn't really enough of an impact to cause that kind of damage to the windshield. The police said it looked more like the vehicle simply sunk into the snow rather than stopping suddenly. So much like there was in the first story that we discussed, um, the police noticed that leading up to the accident site, they couldn't find any skid marks on the road and no disturbances in the gravel and just really no evidence that anybody had realized they you know, were going off the road and needed to come to a stop. There was also a very steep ravine a little bit further off the road. And if the car had been traveling at all without stopping, the police believe that it would have gone into this ravine and not just stopped and, you know, come to a rest in this snowbank. We mentioned that there was damage to the windshield, but it really wasn't where it would have been if the accident had occurred the way that Darren was describing. The cracks that were in the windshield didn't have any blood or hair in them. And speaking of blood, there wasn't nearly as much blood in the car as would be expected from the injuries that Krista did have. So this part is a little bit different from the last story because the last story, there was a lot of blood and it didn't make sense for the injuries. In this one, they're saying, no, she has a lot of injuries. There should be more blood than this in the car. Right. So an autopsy was ordered for Krista and it was concluded that Krista had a large laceration to the back of her head as well as a skull fracture to the back of her head. And neither of these things would be consistent at all with a front impact car accident. From the autopsy, her official cause of death was determined to be blunt force trauma to the head. The state patrol also conducted a reconstruction based on Darren's story and what they believe happened. 
The police believe that this was really just a poorly staged accident to cover up a crime. They believe that Darren, quote, staged it to look like it was going to be a traffic accident and the car didn't make it far enough down the ravine, end quote. So basically, he was trying to, if this could have come together, it's one thing, but it's not going to. Like, it just, the car did not go where it wanted him, where he wanted it to. So it was never going to look like he wanted it to, to try and get away with this. They said Krista was dead before she ever got in the car. And because the car didn't make it very far, likely from all the snow, it made it very obvious that there was just no way that this accident could have happened the way he said it did. Police had a search warrant and went to search the family's home. In the home, they found blood splatters and drops of blood throughout the garage. They also found blood spatter indicating that an impact had occurred near the stairway into the house. Inside the house, they also found garbage bags that had boots, towels, and even pieces of drywall that all had blood on them. During their investigation and their search, police also found a human tooth. Just one day after the wreck, Chris's husband, Darren, was arrested. On March 27th, he was charged with two counts of second-degree murder. Later that same year, on November 27th, 2002, faced with mounds of evidence against him, Darren pleads guilty to one count of second-degree intentional murder. Is intentional murder unintentional murder? Is this a Minnesota thing? Because I feel like we don't hear it this must be. a lot, right? Most of what we hear is just first degree, second degree, you know, and it kind of goes from there. But no, I don't. Or I guess you would an equivalent, maybe like a manslaughter charge. That's I really what don't I was know. thinking. So as part of his plea deal, the other count of second degree murder was dropped. Darren finally admitted that he had hit Krista with a board inside their garage after the couple had an argument. And that's when he decided to stage an accident in hopes of covering it up. On January 17th, 2003, Darren was sentenced to 26 years and one month in prison. Darren is currently being held at Candiohi County Community Corrections. His sentence uh, expires in April of 2028. Since his time in prison, Darren has remarried, this time to a woman named Rebecca in July of 2014. I don't get this idea of, like... He has so much evidence at his house. I guess you have to hope that like if everyone just thinks this is a wreck, I'm totally fine. I can get rid of everything. I can get away with this. But if something goes wrong in this wreck, it's over for you. I mean, thank goodness. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's almost like it's not I can understand how they thought that this would be a great way to do it. But also at the same time, not because in order for somebody to die in a car accident like it, you have to think about the officers and the people who see these kinds of things every day and that's what they do for a living like they're going to know if this is if something is off about that you know if if you have a car accident going 39 miles an hour and somebody dies in the accident like that doesn't it just doesn't really add up okay melissa so we're going to move on to our last thing before we go this week and we're doing something really (laughs) off the wall and really different and um really exciting and fun hopefully so Mad Libs, is that what they call this, where you fill in the blank? Technically, I got for this blanks. from a word uh, from a place called Mad Takes. Uh, I'm pretty sure they oh, would be sued okay. if they called it Mad <laughs> <laughs> But we were getting it yeah, yeah. from madtakes.com. So this is just a fun little, like Mad Libs, but it's not Mad Libs. But it's Mad Takes. <laughs> mad Takes. So it's silly and cheesy, and it's just fill in the blank. Um, kind of stuff. Melissa, how comfortable are you with parts of speech? I should be good. I feel good. I, I hope that I, I hope that I will be good. You will. <laughs> okay, Mandy. So what we're doing is I'm going to ask Mandy 
just it's mad libs but mad takes because again i don't think we're allowed to say that okay mandy i'm gonna just ask you for some words to fill in the blanks here and then we will fill it in and i'll read your silly sentence if you're new to our show we do something called last thing before we go where basically it's a palate cleanser for the rest of the show and if this is your first time listening what a weird episode uh ending to listen to (laughs) sometimes we have better ideas this week i did not okay mandy give me a silly word flabbergasted oh come on that actually is a very good word. It's just a long word for me to write. Okay, next one. Give me a last name. Smith. You went from flabbergasted to Smith. <laughs> that could not have been more different. Okay, give me an illness. The flu. Flu, okay. Uh, give me a noun, but a plural noun. Dogs. Okay, of course. Um, give me an adjective. Big. Give me an ad, another adjective. Mm, um, let's go with hot. Okay. This could get really weird. Give me another <laughs> silly word that's not flabbergasted. Oh, man. Silly words are hard on the spot. Um, what was that? Did you say root and tootin'? No, let's do hoopla. Hoopla. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, give me a place. San Diego. Okay. Uh, Give me a number. Nine. Oh, okay. And then give me an adjective. Yellow. Okay. Mandy, are you ready for your sick note ad lib? Here we go. I am. Dear school nurse, Flabbergasted Smith will not be attending school today. He has come down with a case of the flu and has horrible dog and a big fever. We have made an appointment with the hot Dr. Hoopla, (laughs) who studied for many years in San Diego and has nine degrees in pediatrics. He will send you all the information you need. Thank you. Sincerely, Mrs. Yellow. I like how inappropriate your story got there in the middle. Don't call your pediatrician hot. The hot doctor, yeah. Let me tell you, my kid's pediatrician is very hot. I've always thought he's a very, very attractive man. And like my face gets rubbed whenever I talk to him, whenever I think, oh, this is a very like attractive doctor. And then I'm like, why is my face getting red? This looks really weird. And then my face gets Uh. redder. And one time he asked me if I was feeling okay. And I was like, dear God, I have got to find a new doctor. (laughs) (laughs) I've got my own hot doctor hoopla. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Okay. I'm very excited about yours, Melissa, because I just think you have funny, you have funny words. We'll see. Okay. So I just, first one I need is an adjective. Um, uh, angry. Okay. Next is a verb that ends in ed. Limped. Wow. Okay. Next is a plural noun. Kangaroos. <laughs> okay. Kangaroos. Um, what is a liquid? Name a liquid. Mellow yellow. Wow. Okay. Um, Another plural noun. Window screens. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Okay. Sorry. I'm writing these down. Okay. Now I need the name of a famous person. Shakira. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now a place. Uh, The good place. 
Is that a real place? Oh, it's from the show The Good Place. It's basically heaven. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. Okay. Um, how about an occupation? Uh, what's it called? A podiatrist. Wow. Okay. I'm very curious about how this is going to go. Okay. Um, how about another noun? Just a plain, just a plain one, not plural. You want me to go plain on this one? How about yeah. uh, grass? Okay. That works. Um, what about a nationality? Canadian. Okay. All right. Our friends, our neighbors to the north. Um, let's do, oh, I need a, I need a female celebrity. Celine Dion. Celine. Okay. And a noun. I'm almost to the end. Mine had a few more, I think, than yours did. Okay. A noun. Um, a lily pad. Lily pad. Okay. Um, the name of a female friend. Mandy. <laughs> if you, you didn't be- say Mandy, I was going to be so <laughs> sad. <laughs> Okay, plural noun. Vaselines. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Okay. And the last two, I need a number and then an adjective. 11 and honorary. What is no, pernicious. Pernicious. Like pernicious. Pernicious. Mm-hmm. That's a real housewife. Did that one. come from your did that come from your word of day calendar? No, that's from oh, no, uh, Camille Grammar's uh, Real Housewives. <laughs> Okay, Melissa, I'm going to type these in, and then I'm going to tell you your personal ad, ad lib. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I typed in all of your stuff, and yes, I'm going to read your personal ad, ad lib, which is really great for you, Melissa, because you're not the personal ad type, so maybe, um, maybe maybe this will make you that type. Maybe I'll have to just use this, copyright it. Maybe you just will. Yes, here we go. Okay. I enjoy long, angry walks on the beach, getting limped in the rain, and serendipitous encounters with kangaroos. I really like pina coladas mixed with mellow yellow and romantic candlelit window screens. I am well-read from Dr. Seuss to Shakira. I travel (laughs) frequently, especially to the good place when I'm not busy with work. I'm a podiatrist. I am looking for grass and beauty in the form of (gasps) Canadian... <laughs> in the form of a Canadian goddess. I, <laughs> you said grass. That was not the you best looking, time to say grass. <laughs> yeah, you're looking for grass and beauty in the form of a Canadian goddess. Was I on grass she, she, when oh, I wrote this? Possibly. <laughs> she, <laughs> okay, this part does not make much sense. She should have the physique of Celine Dion and the lily pad of Mandy. Mandy. I don't know what that even could mean. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I would prefer if she knew how to cook, clean, and wash my Vaseline. <laughs> I know I'm not very attractive in my picture, but it was taken 11 days ago, and I have since become more pernicious. <laughs> Honestly, I think I could do pretty well with that, especially if I did a 90-day yeah. fiancé situation. I could do pretty well. Yeah. 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 My favorite part is that you're looking for grass and always looking for beauty. grass. You know me. Grass and beauty. It sounds very hippie. It does. Very you, Melissa. I know. <laughs> you and your lily pads. Okay, that was weird and that was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that is fun. I forgot Mad Libs were a thing that existed and we've never done that before. But yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Oh, you know what we should do? Made- if you have an idea for them, some people love making these. If you like to make them, send them to lastingbeforewego at gmail.com. Like make up a story 
tell us nouns, adjectives, or something like that. That would be really fun to do, uh, like a listener yeah. listener one. That would be really cool. And we're running out of ideas. My gosh, are we running out of ideas? So right. please send this to <laughs> us. If you're thinking that sounds like me, it does. Please do it. Please do it. I know. We are, you know, we've been doing the podcast for a few years now. And yeah, we love doing the last thing before we go at the end. But it is hard to think of things that we haven't done already. And we just also feel like you guys know everything there is to know about us at this point. So answering random questions is kind of not I feel like What's we're just your favorite telling food? you guys the same things. Yeah. <laughs> over and over again. So yeah, even if you have other ideas for last thing before we go, let us know and we will definitely try to include some other fun things. Yes. So yeah, and hopefully hopefully you guys who listen or have been listening for a while are enjoying the different things we've been doing for Last Thing Before We Go. It is one of my favorite parts of the show. Me so too. we want to make sure it stays fun and exciting for everybody. Absolutely. So yeah, if you have any ideas, let us know. And before we go, we are going to be playing the promo for our friends with the fall line. Uh, Laura and Brooke, they are amazing. They do amazing things. And we would love for you guys to check out their show if you haven't already. You probably are listening to it. But if you haven't, now is a great time to listen. And uh, my other show, Criminality, that I do with Rebecca Sebastian, this week we talked about Tinsley from Real Housewives of New York. And so that is a fun – that name means nothing to you, right, Mandy? Just absolutely nothing? It does not. Totally? Mm-mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun one. It's it's different. And if you want to listen to that, you can listen to that. Uh, Criminality uh, is the name of the show. Perfect. All right, guys. We will see you back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Through storytelling, interviews, and primary and archival research, The Fall Line introduces you to victims and survivors who don't make it onto primetime. Our interviews with families, experts, and investigators take you to dozens of locations all over the map. We'll discover why some cases fell through the cracks or were never investigated at all, and why others never got the news coverage that they deserved. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.